0: By the way, young folks, that's what we played on our MP3 players of our day. Well, happy almost Mother's Day. As the mothers and grandmothers and stepmothers go out, go out the door out there, Gene will have a gift for you. You're going to get some kisses from your pastor and his wife. Seems like it's been a long time since I've preached here. Been two weeks. Did you know we had the conference president here last week? When Mesa Grande Academy was here, he said, I came all the way out here to hear you preach. I said, Well, you can come back next week. I'm preaching. we kind of got a little interrupted on our series we were talking about the uh, the radical prayer and then i told you that this week we're going to talk about the radical problem the lord has a radical problem we learned the last time that the harvest is truly great there are many men women and children who are waiting for the invitation to become a part of the kingdom of heaven but we can't see the ripe harvest because we are so caught up with our world right down here and our own problems and our own financial situations and our work and our families that we can't see the ripened grain like the Lord can see from heaven. And so if you remember We decided that we were going to say the radical prayer. And that radical prayer was, Lord, open my eyes so that I can see as you see. We need to have our eyes open so we can see this world as our Lord sees it. We need to be ready. This prayer is just asking God to help us. To see all the inhabitants of this earth from his perspective. We need to come to a realization that the harvest truly is great. And it is ready to be gathered right now. But the Lord still has a problem though. A radical problem. And let's take a look at it. Luke chapter 10. Gene read it. Verse 2. Then he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are what? Few. That's the problem. The problem is not the harvest. The problem are the laborers. The Holy Spirit is doing his work of preparing people to become the children of God. That's why the harvest is great. But the harvesters are not doing their job. I'm an old Kansas boy, and I remember the old golden wheat crops out through Kansas. I always begin to watch it turn the color, and you knew when it started to turn color that soon would be time for the harvesters to come in to begin cutting the wheat. Those old combines get going out there, man, it's quite a sight. I used to have to drive the truck that would go up next to the combine and they'd unload it and I would have to take it into town and hopefully get back before the combines were full again. So I'd keep doing that process over and over. Those custom combiners, those harvesters would actually start when the season would start. The grain would uh, get ready down in, in Texas. They'd start down here in the tip of Texas, and then they would start harvesting, and then they'd move up north through Texas and go into Oklahoma when the crop then would be ripe at that time to be cut, but it isn't ready yet in Kansas. And then from Oklahoma, they'd go up into Kansas. I lived about right there between the K and the S. Never saw the K or the S all the time I lived there, but I saw the golden wheat. And then they would move from Kansas, then they would be, it would be ripe in Nebraska. And they would go up into Nebraska, and then up into the Dakotas. Guess where they would go after they hit North Dakota? They'd go up into Canada. And they were, it's amazing how with all the, the seasons and everything, that the Lord has the, the grain ripe at certain points of time. Not all at once, because they would never be able to get to it all at once. And they would have to go on up and get into Canada. And they would never stop working until all the grain was cut. But in this particular year, many custom harvesters didn't show up. There was, this was back in the, remember the, the gas lines when everybody was waiting to get Gas. They couldn't get gas for their trucks and their combines. And so they didn't go out. And they didn't cut the wheat and the grain. Many farmers lost their their crops. It doesn't show up too easily, but a lot of times after a while, the, the grain is no longer that nice golden brown, but it starts to turn white. In some cases, it starts turning black when the fungus starts growing on. It gets so heavy that it begins to... Lay over on its side, and, and it's a mess. And there was a lot of farmers that lost their farms to their banks because there was no income that came from their, from their wheat. And how devastating it was for them. You know where this is? That's all etched in our minds the Twin Towers that took place on 9/ 11. Did you know that ever since September the 11th, 2001, the Holy Spirit has really been working on the hearts of souls in the entire world? We're living in a time when not only the economy is terrible all over the earth, but people are trying to seek answers. Why is this happening? What's taking place? We're needing help. The Holy Spirit is opening up spiritual doors that have never, ever been opened up, such as being opened up at this time in this world's history. The harvest is ready. It's truly great. It's time for the harvesters to do their work. But the fields of souls are being neglected. Why is that? Matthew twenty four fourteen, Jesus says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Now remember, I said we've got to see it from the perspective of up in heaven. Jesus says when the gospel is preached, what will happen? It's the second coming of Jesus. But you know what we're waiting for down here? What we're looking at? I'll tell you what we're looking at. Many of our church members are looking when the Sunday laws come. When the national Sunday laws come, then we'll be ready. Then we're going to start the harvest. Let me tell you, we're looking at the wrong thing. The harvest is already ripe before the Sunday laws ever come. We're not looking through it through the eyes of Jesus. Jesus says that He won't come until the harvest is gathered. Now, let me ask you another question. How many individuals here on this earth has the Lord called to be laborers in His harvest? Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying... He's talking to the religious leaders. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." Jesus says that he's going to come and he's going to be with individuals that are going to go out and will always be doing this until the harvest is finished, which is at the end of the age. But who is he asking to be the laborers? He's asking us to be the laborers. We are to go out. All generations of believers. Everyone who accepts the call to be a Christian is also a laborer in the harvest. The problem is, where are the laborers? If we're called to be laborers in God's harvest field, why are there so few laboring laborers? That's what we're going to dwell on this morning. I'm going to tell you right now. Some of you are going to be upset for what I have to say this morning. But I have to say it anyway because the Lord has placed this message on my shoulders as a minister of the gospel. So let's look first at a story that Jesus told about a man who had two sons. Matthew 21. A man had two sons, Jesus said. And he came to the first son and said, Son, go work today in my field. And his son answered and said, I will not. But afterwards he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second son and said likewise, And this son answered and said, I'll go, sir. But he didn't go. Jesus asked the question, which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, the first. And Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. He's speaking to the religious leaders. And you know what he's saying? You're not doing your job. And if you don't do the job, I'll tell you who's going to do it. The IRS, the harlots, those prostitutes, those individuals that you never thought would ever, ever be doing the work of God, they're the ones that's going to do it. But the church people are going to sit there and not labor. Well, then he goes on. The vineyards are there, the grapes are ready, but there isn't enough workers. The crop is ready for the harvest. But let's look at another story. He said to them, A certain man gave a great supper. And invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, Oh, I bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you have to have me excused. And another said, Oh, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. And still another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. They all made excuses for not heeding to the king's invitation. Were they intentionally trying to be mean to the king? Why didn't they want to attend such a special occasion? That special invitation went out and they said, I I can't do it. They all had excuses. They all refused. The king got mad, according to the story, and allowed others to come and take their place at the banquet table. He tells another story. Actually, it's a story of Peter. One of the first followers of Jesus, Peter listened to the words of Jesus when he said, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Peter also experienced the power of the Lord as he labored in Jesus' name to heal the sick and to set free the oppressed. But at the trial of Jesus, we know that Peter denied his Savior three times. And even after seeing the risen Savior for himself, Peter says to his colleagues, I'm going fishing. Doesn't it seem strange for Peter to desire to go fishing right after Jesus had died on the cross and was seen after His resurrection? Jesus had told His followers to preach the good news to everyone they met. Yet, what does Peter do? He wants to go fishing. Why is it that some of us makes excuses why we don't want to be a laborer for Christ. Why is it that others say that they will help but they go back on their word or maybe some of them will even go back later on and try it. There are some who act like Peter who deny by their actions that they know Jesus and they allow other activities to be the priority instead of harvesting. Why is that happening? The same thing is happening today. Take a look at Matthew, chapter 16. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I've often wondered many times, and I've preached this many times, what in the world does this mean? And I've gone through great elaborate things and everything else, but it really boils down to a couple of things. There's two issues. In our Christian experience, we have to deny self and to take up our cross. What does it mean? Well, let's hit with deny ourselves first. To understand what Jesus is talking about, we have to understand a word in the Bible that's called iniquity. Iniquity means selfishness. Look at the selfishness of Lucifer. Five times Lucifer used the term, I will. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of the cloud. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. What's the focus of the attention upon Himself. That's iniquity. Selfishness. Ezekiel describes Lucifer this way You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity, selfishness, was found in you. Selfishness began to control the thinking and the actions of Lucifer himself. It became a part of him that's why he was cast out of heaven. He only thought of himself and what he wanted, not what the Lord's will would be. So what does this have to do with the harvest field And what does it have to do with us? Psalm 51, verse 5. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity. I was shapen, I was created in selfishness. And in sin did my mother conceive me. He's talking about all of us. From the day that we were conceived, the wiring starts taking place in our brain and in our actions To focus towards self. It comes automatically. We're born that way. We cannot change that on our own power. That's the way we are. We're born that way. We're born, even before we're born, we're going to let others know whose boss we really are. Mothers know what we're talking about here. See the little footprint. I'm going to make my mark in this world. We're just going to show the world who's boss. Our thinking is automatically programmed to think and do selfish things. When self is alive, it is impossible for us to see the truth of any situation about ourselves and about others and about God. When self is in control, I cannot see the world as it being ready for it to be harvested. If I have self controlling me, I don't even see self controlling me. I don't even see who I am. And if someone points it out, I'm going to fight them about it. Or I'm going to make excuses about it. I can't even see God properly when self is in control. I can't think the way he does because I'm allowing selfishness to think. I can't do his will because I'm always trying to do my will. Do you see what's taking place? The problem of the so few laborers is self. It's you. We see the world through earthly glasses and it doesn't look good. We're blind to see others or ourselves accurately. Self is in such control, we begin to make excuses for not doing what we're asked to do. We try to justify our sinful desires. We try to avoid our spiritual duties. But it goes even deeper than that. It has to do with our trust. If God is in control of our lives... That I can trust God. But if God is not in control of my life, if self is in control, I only trust myself. And if I only trust myself, guess who no longer has control of me? Guess who no longer can influence me? Guess who no longer is with me? Whoa! oh I've got to make up my mind who is the better of the two. Lucifer chose self. Trust is at the heart of our self deception. We either trust God and what He says to do is the best for us, or we trust ourselves, which is programmed by our sinful nature. It is natural for us to trust only our feelings and trust ourselves. If I don't feel like doing something, I'm not going to do it. But when we trust ourselves, we push aside our trust in God and His desires are no longer in us because we are wired from birth to be selfish and we tend to defend our selfish nature and why we're not doing the Lord's work we make excuses why we're not ready to go out into the harvest. We defend our feelings. Oh, I'm not good enough to do the Lord's work. I'm too busy to do the Lord's work. I hate visiting people. I'm just too tired to go out. I work too hard. I don't have time. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm not good with words. I'm fat. I'm skinny. I'm not a people person. I have two jobs in no time. I don't want others to take advantage of me. I don't know Bible Scriptures. I'm depressed. I'm afraid. It's boring. Well, that list of excuses keeps going on and on and on and on. And you know what? There's no laborers to do the work. And you know what? Pastors do the exact same thing. So if I can change a church service and not make people feel guilty about not doing the Lord's work, then I don't have to do the Lord's work. I'm too busy. Let me ask you a question. What excuse is there that justifies us for not being a laborer for Christ? That's a good, legitimate excuse. The only excuse you have is you're dead. But you know what? I've actually seen funerals of dead people that have been a blessing to the family where they've come to the Lord. So you can't even use that excuse. Here's what it boils down to. I'm saying, I've purchased some land, I bought me a cow, I just got married. I'm sorry, Lord, I just can't come and serve you. Pretty lame excuses. I love myself, and that's all that matters. Isn't that what it's saying? Isn't that what iniquity is? I'm going to do what I want to do, and Lord, you can't tell me anything different. I, if I don't want to see the harvest, I'm not going to see the harvest. If I don't want to do the work, I'm not going to listen to what it has to say in the Bible. I'll either make an excuse, or I'll get mad, or I'll say, Yes, Lord, I'll do it. I, I will do it. And then I don't. I've got an invitation to a great banquet. A banquet where Jesus is going to be at the head of the table. And I am to be there. And you know what? I'm going to allow myself these excuses to keep me out of the banquet in heaven. Because Jesus cannot... Allow me in if He's not in control of my life. If self is in control, guess what? I can't be in heaven. We're like a bunch of ostriches that stick our head in the sand. I don't want to see anything. I don't want to hear anything. And I don't want to do anything because I'm too busy with my head in the sand. And let me know when the Sunday laws come so I can have this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Too late. The harvest is too ripe. The laborers are already out working. I've got to get my head out of the sand today. Right now. Look what Romans has to say. The sinful mind. Now let me tell you something. Where it says sinful, put in selfish. The selfish mind is what? Hostile to whom? To God. Is it God that's hostile to me? No. He wants to save me. He wants me to be His disciple. He wants me to be a worker. But because of my My mind, because of my selfishness, I am hostile to God. It does not, my mind doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the selfish nature cannot please God. Why can't it? Because I don't want to do what God asks me to do. I don't want to give Bible studies. I don't want to witness. I don't want to do anything but to come on Sabbath morning and sit in the pews and say, praise the Lord, here's my offering. Thank you, God. Goodbye. Is that the harvest? Can you imagine the wheat harvesters coming into Kansas and say, give me my money. Yep, that's wheat. Goodbye. And don't cut it. They won't be harvesters for very long cannot please God. Take a look at this one. Galatians 5.17 Our sinful, our selfish selves want what is against the Spirit. And the Spirit wants what is against our selfish nature. The two are against each other so you cannot do just what you please. What is it saying? Someone's going to be in control. It's either going to be you or it's going to be God. There's no in-between. Because they battle each other. And either God's going to win or self is going to lose. Because self can't win. But look how strong that's saying. Look what it's talking about. So what do we've got to do? Jesus says to deny yourself. That means I've got to be conscious right now that my mind is automatically pre wired and pre programmed against God. My thoughts are not God's thoughts. My ways are not God's ways. I will do the opposite of what the Holy Spirit wants me to do when self is in control. So I've got to come to a realization that that automatically takes place. I don't even think about it. It just automatically pops in and works in my life. But then Jesus, when we come to realization of what our self is like, then Jesus says, take up your cross. Now, pastor, you're talking in gibberish. What do you mean, take up your cross? Well, I've seen that guy in Redlands carrying his cross around as he drags it up and down the street. Is that what he means? No, that's not what he means. We've got to understand a little bit something about the cross. The Roman cross was making a statement. When a person was to be executed on the cross, he would put the cross on his shoulders, they'd make him put him on his shoulders, and he would walk up and down the street with that cross going out to where he's executed. You know what the statement is? This live man is now dead. You see him now carrying his cross, but now he's dead. He's still walking, but he's dead. There's no hope for him. He's, died. he's dead. There's nothing to live for. He's dead. And so they carried the cross. It isn't any different than it is today. Today, when a person has committed a murder and he's on death row... When it comes to his day of execution, he's taken from his cell to go to the execution chamber. As they're walking down the hallway with all the other jail cells there, with all the other prisoners, there's an escort that walks with him, and that escort says, Dead man walking. How can a dead man walk? They're making a statement. This man you see is dead. There's no hope for him. Even though he's walking down this hallway, we already consider him to be dead. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is telling us that we need to take up our cross and die to ourselves. Galatians 2.20 I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but now who lives in me. Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've got to come to a realization that Jesus loves me. Jesus gave himself for me. He gave up his life for me. He wants to do everything best in my life. His life, his thoughts, his actions are far better than mine because mine are in the opposite. I do not like him automatically. I do not want to do his will. I do not want to have anything to do with him. I don't want to have anything to do with what he asked me to do. And that's what takes over and that's what's part of me. I've got to come to a realization, and then I've got to die to myself. I've got to come to a point where I've got to put self to death. Today's English Bible says, I've been put to death with Christ on the cross, so that it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. Galatians 5, 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified their own sinful Let's put selfish, selfish selves on the cross. They have given up their old selfish feelings. That's their excuses. That's the things that we come up with and the evil things that they wanted to do. In other words, I've got to come to a point where I realize that his way is the best and I've got to do his way in his thinking, in his manner, in his glory. Not myself. I've got to execute myself on the cross i've got to die how often daily i've got to die to self daily now what does that mean that means every morning when i get up in the morning i am automatically pre wired for selfishness my thoughts are going to be selfish my, my actions are going to be against god i'm not with god i'm against him when i get up in the morning okay so when i get up in the morning i've got to die to myself i've got to crucify myself and say I no longer want to live. I now want Jesus to live in me and to take over. But it's not just once a day, but it's all the time. When that takes place, sometimes I will automatically do something I don't even think. I will do something against the Lord. I've got to stop right then and there and I've got to pray, Lord, forgive me. And He says He's going to forgive me. And He's going to cleanse me from that unrighteousness. Forgive me. I want to die to self. I want to die to what I just did. And I want you to be able to come in and to take over. It's your will that I want to have take place in my life, not my will. Your will's the best. My will is not. Your way's the best. My way is not. You know the way to heaven. I don't. You know what needs to be done. I don't. You see who you have ready, who is ready for the harvest. I can't see it. So help me see, hear, think, breathe. Everything about Jesus. Have Him take over in my life. I don't want to live anymore the way I'm doing. I'm not going to glorify my past life. I want nothing to do with my past life. I want to live, breathe, and think Jesus. There's no excuse for not doing that. There's no reason under the sun, Jesus has everything all planned and mapped out. His coming's going to come whether I'm ready or not. But He says, I've got a problem. My problem is the laborers. There's not enough laborers in my harvest field, and my harvest is just getting ripe. It's overripe. And I need to have you to do something about it. And where it starts is right here in your own heart of dying to self. I don't know about you, but I feel the need for another radical prayer. I feel the need where I need to die to self and to come have the Lord come into my life. If you feel that need, I want you to stand with me as we die to self today with this radical prayer that we're going to recite together. We're all going to be in one accord like the disciples in the upper room. And we want to say this radical prayer together and be sincere because if you're sincere, the Lord's going to do something very great. Let's pray together. Lord of the harvest, I see the problem. I acknowledge my predisposition to evil. I desire to deny myself nature and die on my cross so that the spirit of Jesus might live in me. I am willing to be a laborer in the harvest of Christ so he will come soon. Amen. That is a radical, life-changing prayer. That's a prayer that we need to say every day. That's a prayer that prepares us for that soon coming of Jesus, but there's a lot of work that needs to be done before that takes place. There are people who need to know Jesus, and you're the one that the Lord's going to set up to do that. If you're not going to do it, he's going to have to go out and get somebody else. Do you know why the harlots and the tax collectors did it? When they came to a realization that their life was wrong and rotten, they were willing to give up that life and to walk in the feet of Jesus. And Jesus made them laborers for him. That's what he wants to do with us. Now let me tell you something. I really want you to be praying this week. Next week, our fellowship meal but between church and fellowship meal I'm going to ask the ladies to not get the food out right away. I think we have enough talent in this church that there are things that we could be doing that we've never done before. There are there are things that we can plan together by the grace of God that is going to make the labor easier. What it is, I, it's not going to be my plan. You know, you've always heard pastors give their plan and then it falls flat on his face. It's going to be your plan. We're going to strategize. And we're going to come together and we're going to begin to plan the harvest. And so we're going to start it out. We've got talents here. We're going to tap into the talents. It's like someone says, you know, this morning in my Sabbath school class, it's it's time that the church diversifies and uses all the talents that we have here. So we've got amazing things that the Lord can do with you that I don't know anything about. And, and we can get together and talk about it and begin to make plans for this church and what we're going to do. And even if we don't get over to the potluck to eat, we're going to be fed by the Holy Spirit. I tell you what, you don't gain weight when you're fed by the Holy Spirit. So what we want to do is we want to take our hymnals, turn to hymn number 366, because this hymn asks the question, where are the reapers? And that's the question. The reapers now, today, are right here under the roof of the Beaumont Seventh-day Adventist Church. So let's sing about it, 366. week we're going to take another a look at another radical prayer in our preparation. Let's just bow our heads. Now may the God of the ripening harvest accept your sacrifice that you've made today and allow the promised Holy Spirit of the living God full control of your heart, your mind and your soul.